Ladies and gents, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a friend of mine by the name of Cade Follins. If you've been listening for a little while now, you would have heard him in the very early stages of the life of this podcast. Cade's a breathwork coach. He is a resilience coach, and he's just fascinated in the world of health and well-being. So today, I wanted to get him on because I'm fascinated by all of those things as well, and especially interested in the element of breathwork. It's taken a bit more of the imagination of the public over the last couple of years. I've certainly become more aware of it. So I wanted to find out a little more about what the buzz is. Cade's got a, a brilliant, relaxed way of sharing his ideas um, in a real, you know, he, he just makes it practical. He puts it out there simply. So even when the science can get a little bit confusing, he breaks it down nicely. It was a really, really good conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed talking with him and I, uh, I hope you do as well. So let me handball this to you, a conversation with myself and Cade Fallens. So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual, zero, nothing. Dude, what's the painting you got behind you? That looks nice. Yeah, man, it's um cool. It's a Carl Sagan quote. Probably can't read it in backwards, but it says, it pays to keep an open mind, but not so open your brain falls out. Just a bit funny. It's a nice one. That's good, man. Yeah. That's good. I just love Dude, the I've neon been... of it. Say that again? I just love like the neon. Looks sweet. Mm. It's, I was glad you t- you turned your camera slightly to, uh, is it your right or left? Because a little bit of pink in the background, it, it looks good. I, that's what I love about these things. We were just talking before I hit record. It's, um, it's interesting trying to set up podcasts when you're away from each other. And one of the things that I'm... I'm taking a bit of pride in is is the background. I'm just trying to nail it. I'm, yeah. like, I'm trying to figure out how to make it look a little bit pretty. Yeah. And especially if you spend a bit of time on here, it's uh, it's nice to deck it. And I'm, dude, I'm such a, like when it comes to people's podcasts or when it just comes to people's um, studios or whatever it is that they're doing online, I'm so judgmental of, of studios and stuff. And I've got like a love for it. I've got like this little creative thing that comes out of me where I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing there. Like a, yeah. how have they structured their lighting a little bit? <laughs> so I've got some appreciation for your uh, for your little artwork behind there, brother. It looks good. Yeah, cool. Thank you. I'm the same, mate. Um, like, and it's such an unfair judgment. You can have like a world-class thought leader and they're just in their home office with a white background and you're just sitting there and you're like, come on, man, like, and it's like, you know, the quality of the audio is really loose. And it's like, oh, I want more. Make a production. Yeah. yeah, dude. It's funny. I used to think that with Jordan Peterson. And it's it's weird though, isn't it? Because like the, the real priority is obviously the quality of the content that's coming out. And you can sit through anything if what they're talking about is decent. There's a guy I like called Seth Godin. He's, he's like a marketer from the United States and he's feel like I like him less at the moment because I wrote him a message to invite him on my podcast a while ago. And uh, I said, because uh, I, I messaged him in 2017, he goes, hey, message me back when you've done 80 episodes of your podcast. And I knew oh. what he was doing because most people wouldn't do 80 episodes of a podcast. Right. So he was saying no in a really nice way. And he bloody got me because I stopped doing that podcast when me and Pauly moved away from each other and I got to about 50 episodes. Oh. So I thought oh, I'll message him the other day because this is actually, I think this is episode 80 or 81. And I uh, messaged him the other day going, dude, uh, messaged you in 2017. Would love to have you on episode 80. And he wrote back, I won't be able to do it, but thanks. <laughs> and uh, I was like, mate, like at least the very minimum you could do surely is say, hi, Tyson. Yeah. Thanks for your, thanks for reaching out. And it was just like a, 
a slap in the face. But yeah. I think he's got that kind of character where he's just a straight shooter. You're not going to guess what he's thinking. So I kind of respect it as well. But he um, he talks about this idea that so many of us are so obsessed with the idea of marketing, with social media being our key. Like we'll focus so much on trying to build a following there and we'll build a following based on whatever it is that we can in so many instances. That's why you'll see so many um, you know, cleavage shots of your 16-year-old sister just scrolling <laughs> through Instagram because people are just keen to to get people to follow them. And as a result, we forget about the quality of the product product we produce rather than, um, uh, oh, well, we focus too much on just getting the followers and the quality of the product. And Jordan Peterson, man, he's a classic example of that. Like when he started his podcast, he, is, he was recording through his computer speakers. It was echoey. There was just shit everywhere in his background. And I'm like, you know what though? I'm I'm gonna let you off the hook because what you're saying is changing my life. Yeah. It's uh it is interesting. But then at the same time, now he's gone over to the Daily Wire. I don't know if you know those guys, yeah. sort of that conservative media company, uh, Ben Shapiro's platform, I guess you call it. Mm-hmm. And dude, everything's just gone to full blown professional. So now we're getting the uh now we're getting the double hit of Jordan Peterson at his best yeah. and also looking real good while he's doing it. Yeah. There's something beautiful about that rawness though, as we flip on the other pole of what we said before um you know that there's no one in their ears saying this is what you have to say there's no like you know producer being like hey just watch that topic you know don't talk about this or that when they're just like sitting in their garage just ghetto style you know it's so freeing man it's it's like the beauty of uh it's the beauty of a, a bloke like elon musk taking over a platform like twitter working for Shapiro because all of a sudden the things you're allowed to say without being banned have, have been well and truly expanded, yeah. which is nice, which is really nice. I had a video taken down off YouTube a while ago because like a year ago, because I think I was joking about the 2016 election. I was just mucking around, having fun. And uh, and I don't know anything. I didn't know what I was talking about. I was just riffing and I was taking the piss out of Joe Biden and um, just saying, oh, clearly being rigged, blah, blah, blah. I bet that gets taken down just because I said that. And uh, completely taken the piss. And I got a message from the, the YouTube algorithm to say, oh, we've removed this because of false information. And I was like, no, no, it was like, can you listen to it? Because I was taking the piss. I was just like, yeah. I, I think I said, I don't know what I'm talking about. Mate, <laughs> you're a comedian. They said, oh, you guys normally have a license to um, push into contentious topics. <laughs> well, it's, a weird, it's weird, man. You think that. And um, I think that's why there's alternatives opening up to platforms like YouTube because – there's a lot of people who I notice it myself sometimes when you're trying to post content on a platform like that, you self edit. And that's one thing that I refuse to do in live stand up. Like one thing I'll, I'll, if it's a really contentious topic, I'll try and do it in a way that's funny and not just be a prick just so I can get up there and say my opinions. But yeah, there's a real difference between that live comedy and the massive media because there's, there's people behind the keyboards on their side who are well and truly, I don't know if you call it a power trip, but there's something going on where they're really limiting what you're allowed to say in some respects. And even more than that, like I don't know if it's just taking down podcasts, which are the main problems, but even I'm sure there's a a massive capacity they have to just edit an algorithm so that your video doesn't reach many people or or whatever. It's a really strange thing because I love a comedian called Tim Dillon. He's got like 40,000 people subscribed to him on Patreon. And you look at his YouTube subscription and people love him. And dude, it's not that high. And I know it's because he's kind of 
people throw him in conspiracy theory land and he says stuff you're just not supposed to say and he says stuff that in in woke world <laughs> just doesn't fly so i guess when the platform is woke world central it's um you know it's really going to limit your reach but it's it's kind of frustrating it's funny like that dude like the i don't know what it's like in sydney but melbourne especially i just i feel like the place especially comedy rooms down here a lot of them are run by by just woke muppets a little bit yeah yeah woke but not awake Mm. that's the thing that's the thing isn't it yeah it's funny how um you can quickly label yourself woke and and anyone else with half a clue like yourself can look in and go hang on a second i'm not convinced you really know anything that's the frustrating thing elon musk came out have you been following that closely at all or have you been looking at that at all not really not really i um it's good because yeah. you're a smart man and you've got better things to do with your time. I get, <laughs> I, get so, I get so caught up in the um in the commentary of it. I've been reading the Twitter files a little bit and just seeing how they handled, how the former owners of Twitter handled the Hunter Biden stuff when mm. it was the lead up to the election and what was being allowed to be shared and what wasn't. Okay, yeah. And uh, he's pretty much just taken the lid off what was going on there going, yeah, look, there was some, and he's unpacked the emails and stuff to show it, but there was some, pretty legit tampering taking place with information that was being allowed to sh- uh, be shared via Twitter and people's accounts being suspended for sharing stuff that they uh, were pretty confident was true. So it's it's nice to see like a little bit of a swing back to that woke world on a platform like Twitter with a bloke like him because it just gives you hope for what might take place. Mm. Surely, um, I don't know, it's weird. I'm, I'm a pretty loose unit when it comes to what I talk about and, and even sometimes – I bite my tongue because I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to rub this person up the wrong way or whatever. Yeah. But I know there's a lot of people who've got plenty to say, but don't because they just don't want to be judged or criticised or yeah. whatever else it is yeah. for having a having an honest opinion. I don't know how far you want to go on this um, podcast because I'm biting my tongue. <laughs> Dude, go for it. Go for it. I don't know much, mate. I'm a, I'm a, just a smart monkey. But like, I'm and I'm definitely aware that my bias is hypercritical of people now i don't trust anyone but myself really and good humans like yourself but anyone in the in the public eye like elon i'm just so skeptical because people can do great things for a while for a purpose with an agenda and i've gone from like being ultra give me every rabbit hole and i believe it like 10 years ago, I was just eating up everything to now I just block out everything that distracts me from what I'm doing and my center and what I can sort of create in the world. And I just like, I just look at macro conceptually, like what Elon does. And it's like, kind of like he's driving the car straight towards the cliff that I don't want to go over, but he's doing like good things on the way. And I'll, I'll frame again, like I know nothing. But I'm just um, I'm skeptical because mm. well, like you know the whole concept of controlled opposition, right? Like they win you over with eighty percent of the tr- like truth eighty percent of the time, and then push comes to shove, and suddenly they've got everyone that they wanted on their team, and then they can make the divergence, you know, change the train tracks. Dude, I, I had this conversation for the first time with a mate of mine the other day, and he uh, we were talking about Joe Rogan. And he goes, oh, I've, I've figured out his controlled opposition. I go, wait, what? What are we talking about? Controlled opposition? Because it's a, it's a strange concept. And I was really, um, I was, I don't know, I don't. Maybe I'm still superstitious. Maybe I'm still a little bit skeptical of 
the idea of controlled opposition. Well, it's not that I'd be skeptical of the idea. It's just that I think I was skeptical that my mate Joe was a part of it. But I don't, I don't really understand what. It, do you want to, do you want to unpack it a bit, man? Like, give me the explanation because I, I genuinely don't. Re- my, my first introduction to this idea was three weeks ago, maybe. Yeah. And uh, when my mate finished talking about it, I was like, okay, he's, he's crazy, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not. But it was because I just didn't understand where he was coming from. Yeah, it's definitely a deep part of the, of the rabbit hole um, in terms of, like, the concept of controlled agendas. And once again, to frame it, like, I'm not well-versed in this stuff. I've looked at it a long time ago, and I've just let go of it all. So... In my opinion, like how I see the concept of controlled opposition as a, as a hypothetical um, concept is that there would be people, you know, if there is a controlling um, group that, you know, call it government or call it something else that want to um, steer societal perceptions around different topics, say, um, climate change, um, AI, uh, whatever else, um, that people who, I don't know how it works, like, you know, either people are groomed into it or they at some point are sort of um, could be blackmailed into it or just um, rewarded into having accountability to those powers above them. In order to so and, and so they go okay well either they're blackmailed into or they got money and this is all just my my hypothetical this is what my brain goes it's like if I was then I'd be sitting here and I'd be talking to you and I know there's a couple of things I can't say but otherwise go free reign so that the the audience gets to like me because I tell them the truth and I wake them up to things so they go oh I trust him I never heard of this concept of controlled opposition before that resonates. I'm into him. Yeah, I see that he's um, sharing truth, you know, things that I didn't know about. And then, you know, a year down the line or something, I'm going like, yeah, guys, everyone just get like the microchip in the brain. It'll be great. Like, you know, let's bring on the droids. Um, That concept being a really, as a concept, a really intelligent way to keep control of of groups of thinkers that you would otherwise not be able to rein in Mm. so building trust with a person with a particular idea through them sharing ideas that really resonate and then gradually they'll just slip out a idea which is a little more extreme that you embrace just as a result of the fact that you trust them yeah 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 exactly Exactly. yeah yeah i think i understood that i think uh, that was what i I left this conversation with my mate Joash. Great, you'd get on with Joash like a, a house on fire, man. I certainly do. Um, yeah, because he introduces me to stuff like this. It's. I think. I think the thing I struggle with with these ideas, and I, I struggle with them less, just because I reckon the last couple of years of. I think my eyes have been open to how much manipulation can take place with really good people really, really quickly. Like mm-hmm. throughout this whole COVID thing, it was mind blowing to me how quickly we jumped on board this idea that the vaccine was going to be the answer to everyone when at the time, and like Pfizer now tells you this, there was no evidence that it was ever going to work. It was purely a, um, I don't know what you call it, but it was, we were sold the idea that this was a hundred percent legitimate. It was a hundred percent worked out. You can trust the, you can trust the experts and do this and things will work out. Well, and now as we go along, 
you start to gradually hear little bits of information. You gradually see the results and you can see, hey, COVID's still around and it still spreads and people still get it. And you go, hang on. Like how much, how much can we trust you guys? Because I've, I used to, I vaccinated my, my first kid mostly as a result of the information that you were telling me. And now you've been so far off the mark with this one and I'm still being told to trust you, not only with this one, but with, with everything else. And I can see from that perspective how a person in a position, a person who's built trust with a particular audience could be used as almost like a mouthpiece to make sure you get them on board. It's been, it's been really mind-blowing to me. And I think when you said before that you've gradually sort of started to trust people less and less and just focus more on what it is that you're trying to create, I, I understand that idea because I say unfortunately for me, unfortunately I feel the same in many respects. People that I used to look up to with respect and admiration, I, I now look at with like a lot of scepticism just based on the way they handled themselves this, with this one issue over the last couple of years. Mm. Yeah. I, um, I have a mate I went to high school with who plays for one of the AFL clubs um, down south. Yeah. And it's just a prime example. It's just a guy that, you know, has a bunch of followers and he's sitting there and he's taking a video and he's like, hey, guys, like, go and get your booster, like, protect your family, protect the community, blah, blah, blah. And he's obviously just paid to do that. It's just marketing. Like, it's no different mm-hmm. to just selling a product, being like, hey, buy this water bottle. It's really good. Like, it'll it'll help your family keep hydrated and really healthy. It's no different, but it's something which, you know, is it's contentious for another usage of the word because, yeah, the the evidence isn't there, the science isn't there, and it's all coming through. You just got to keep looking in the right direction, right? It's not on the mainstream news, but all of the evidence is out there now. It's it's plain and simple because the vaccine companies are saying it, you know. But for me, what like sort of I've been sitting with is we, we don't know much and we don't know what we don't know. So what I am uh, developing is listening to my body and what my body tells me about someone or something to so say, Hey, Joe Rogan, like, how does he feel? You know, and just listening to what that response is in the body. So someone comes in and just, just listening to how, you know, your nervous system approach, like talking towards breath work, like, you know, you're neurocepting constantly. Your nervous system is basically checking out everyone going, Hey, is Tyson safe to connect with? Or is he a bit in like this mode, which would be in parasympathetic because you're on the run. If you're in a freeze state, you're a red light. You know, if you're in parasympathetic, like you're chatting now, you're not thinking about past, present or past or future. You know, you're just, you're just present with me. We're connected, you know, then you're green light. So I've been working on that, like sort of honing in on that skill. And to then flip back to the whole like concept of CO, like controlled opposition, there's also a huge chance that there's like, a, and this is like, this is conspiracy fucking circus, right? Like this is my, this is why I've stopped, bro, because this is where my head goes. I'm like, okay, how's this? I'll probably lose everyone now. How's the concept of like, yeah, there's someone in controlled opposition. And I don't like going towards like good and bad because it's probably just human nature. It's, it could just be greed, you know? It could just be that these like, and, and you talk about vac- uh, the vaccine and they said this at the start, they said it would stop transmission and now they say no it actually we never proved we never tested it to stop transmission but the whole marketing ploy was to protect each other so it was you know if you don't get vaccinated you're being bad and um, harming the rest of the people 
So you're a bad citizen. Um, so the, the concept of like, oh, that you go to the tobacco companies, you know, back in the day, we could just be ignorant. We could just be idiots and just going, Hey, yeah, this is good. Oh, whoops. We made a mistake. You know, human error is, is a fundamental piece of life. But what if someone like Joe Rogan's like been like controlled opposition, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, cool. Spotify overlords, you know, I'll do what you say. But really inside he stayed sovereign. And he's like, you'll never control me, you know, but he said he will, you know, so it's like a double flip. Yeah. That's just where my brain goes. So that's why I say, I don't know. I frame this whole thing. Like I'm just listening to my body, doing what I can, because if I focus on all of these things and people, my energy and my life force is going that way, you know, talk about anything like, you know, talk about porn, not what is it? 95% of men have watched porn in the last like two weeks or something, you know, most of them it's like daily that life force, which your sexual energy is your life force energy. That's going straight to some like other place, you know, that's your ability to create is this, is this sexual energy. So, you know, taking that on another little tangent, but um, I'm giving myself away to other people when I'm thinking about them all the time, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I'm just focusing on me, bro. And I'm doing what I can. But I had something else to mention um, when you're talking about, um, was it Ben Shapiro? No. Um, yeah, I mentioned that Jordan Peterson went and worked for Ben Shapiro's company. So you're talking about the guy that you reached out for the podcast. Oh, Seth Godin. Seth Godin, yeah. So I have a, uh, it's talking like, you know, little fish trying to, um, you know, get into the pond with big fish. I, um, I'm a very small fish and I'm going to LA in uh, a week. I think I'll leave in a week today. And so I, I message Orby Marcus. I'm like, let's let's have a <laughs> let's throw a bait out, you know. I was like, hey mate, and then, okay, I've I've commented on his like um a few of his things or stories in the, over the years. I've been listening to him for a very long time and getting his his um emails since before I even knew that it, it was. I thought it was a girl. I was just getting his email. <laughs> signed up to some email chain. I get these emails every now and again, and I'm like. This guy, this this chick's really cool. She like writes really well, and then it comes through, and then he get, develops. I think he's a, he was doing honor at the time, and then it came through the podcast. I'm like, oh, this guy's a king. And um, so yeah, over the years, he's replied to a few of my story replies and stuff. He's he's very interactive on his Instagram. He's very good. Um, but I sent him a message, being like, just putting it out there. I'm in LA. Would love to meet up and and hang out for like a coffee or something if you can, you know. I don't know where you are. I know you don't live in LA. <laughs> I was like, because we're looking at opening a breathwork studio in Sydney sometime next year with um two other people, and we've started running events and doing a bit of a festival um circuit, and it's all like it's all going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And I also really like the fit for service um concept and model and i would love to create something very similar here where you get a tribe of people together elevating together holding each other accountable getting deep connection that's why i do all this work mate like for me uh, the undercurrent of getting people in breath work workshops and getting people to do ice baths is connection and the big piece that i've been um communicating now is so we want to feel more connection with the outside world, right? All of us do. And the outside world is very busy, but we want to feel more connected with the outside world. Well, before we can connect with the outside world authentically, we need to connect with ourselves. 
because you can't give what you don't have. So you have connection with yourself first and then you can connect with the world. This tree, this table, this brother. But for, before those two things to happen, what we need is safety. Back to that neuroception. You want your nervous system to be able to downregulate and not get triggered, you know? So that's, that's the piece that I've been um, sort of the model that's underneath my workshops now and my retreats is, is creating a sense of safety. And that comes from me, like doing my work and staying in integrity and, you know, living the life that I do is I'm just fully like stepping more and more into like, how can I be of the best service to my community? And so I try and live, you know, as, as wholesome as I can in order to just, I don't think it's about me anymore. I don't see it being about me. I'm just like, I've dedicated my life now. I've thrown away everything else. I've, I've let go of, you know, my relationship, my job, all these things. And I'm, I'm just in this like flow. And so that's another tangent. That's a nice little ramble, but that's where I'm at right now, bro. Yeah, man. I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago just about um, the things that we give our energy away to because I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's actually a movement at the moment, but I think there's a massive movement around this idea of um, like what it is to, well, in this instance, what it is to be a like a genuine man. I, I got, I've started following a page that our mate Pally got me onto. I think he tagged me in a couple of posts. I'm sure you're all over it. Carnivore, really? Yes, I knew it. <laughs> he got me onto it too, mate. Dude, and it's it is so good. I can't believe how much I enjoy the page. Yes. It's just not only are the memes hilarious, but there's just so much quality that comes out of it. It, it blows my mind. Yeah. I'm never like every time I buy something at the supermarket now. As a result, I'm looking for seed oils and finding them everywhere just quietly. I can't believe that. Yeah. Um, but secondly, one thing that I love about the uh, the guy who runs it is it's speaking about the, the, the vibe that you get from a particular person, I read what this guy's about and I go, you know what, I, I really relate to a lot of what you're talking about. And the idea of, um, what did you say, 95% of men have watched porn in the last two weeks is, is staggering to me. And um, it, I would love to know a percentage of men who still buy into the idea that sort of rooting yourself silly on a weekend is the way to be a man. Like whoever's, whoever's got the most girls is... Uh, is sort of at the highest level of the platform and he goes right against that. And it's interesting to me because, um, I don't know, I, I got married relatively young and at the time I got married, it wasn't necessarily seen as a, a very cool thing to do. A lot of my mates were, um, and, and like there was, there was, I didn't care, it didn't bother me, but a lot of my mates were going the opposite way where it was like, hey, root yourself, silly. And um, I go, well, well, we'll both do it. We'll just do it in different contexts. You know what I mean? And um, what was so funny was, uh as as I got older or especially recently I've I've started to notice that there's been a real change in a lot of people's attitude especially online about this idea that hey that's that's not what you have to do like your your um your meaning's not found in porn it's not found necessarily in money it's not found in whatever it's not found in how many chicks you you have sex with um it's found more in what it is that you're talking about like okay what what actually what actually brings you to life you're not born just to work uh, in a in a corporate scene until you're 60 and then retire for 10 and, and, and die. And it's interesting to me because I think as you talk about that, the idea that this has been a, such a, a hot conversation in so many avenues that I've stumbled upon, have you noticed that that's become a little bit of a theme, that there's been a almost a challenge to a lot of men to go, right, like what, what are you actually called to? Because this idea of drinking and sex 
and a nine to five job forever. It's, I mean, there's not a whole heap of meaning found there. And I think a lot of people who are on this, who have been in that scene for a while would probably go, I, I feel that. I definitely did back in the day before I got married at 24 and I played that same game for about five or six years. And um, for me as a young bloke, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure. This isn't, this isn't what I thought it was. Yeah. I, I definitely do think there's more and more awareness coming through around this much like there's just more awareness around everything, you know, the whole, the COVID piece causing people to pause and consider things and slow down. Like so much truth just comes through when we slow down and stop being busy. Um, but I've had a lot of conversations with guys lately in the past like six months and a lot of them saying, Hey, I've never been able to talk about this before. I don't have anyone else that I've, chatted to this about talking about things like semen retention, harnessing your sexual energy, um, not having casual sex, all these things. Mate, Carnivore Aurelius does a great job of bringing the humor to it. So being like, yeah, casual sex is the, um, what does he say? Casual sex is the, is the, um, the enemy of like happiness and stuff. Just go get yourself a, a, a family and a cow. You know, it's all about the moo, the glorious moo. I love it. Mate, I'm carnivore now as well. In your diet, you, you're a carnivore diet? Yeah. Oh, yeah, talk to me about that, man. Oh, it's incredible, mate. Incredible. I've been on the whole um, diet merry-go-round for probably eight years. It's paleo for a few years, keto. When I did yoga teacher training and I was like, previous to that, I said I would like could never go vegetarian. I, I grew up just eating meat and veg, but not much veg and no fruit. I was very bland and like no sauce or anything. Just give me meat, give me mashed potato, maybe some peas. And went on yoga teacher training. And I said, fuck it. I got a week here. Uh, sorry, a month here. Most people are vegetarian. I'll give it a go. I started it and I continued for about a year. Went vegan for about half of that year. And then transitioned out of that as I started working at the poke bowl place. So I was having, having um, sashimi. So I sort of went pescatarian then sort of I've come through now. Um, that was four years ago, started eating meat again. And now it's just, I'm still having fruit and a bit of a few veggies, like um, certain ones that don't have as many of the anti-nutrients um, or oxalates and lectins. Otherwise it's like two steaks a day, heart and liver some eggs, avocado, heaps of, um, you know, ghee. It's all organic. The beef I'm getting is not organic. It's grass-fed, um, you know, regenerative farming because organic in the beef industry can just be a marketing mm -hmm. term and they're actually f in feedlots eating grain, which you don't want. You want, a, you want a cow eating grass, as you would know from Carnivore Aurelius. And so, mate, for me personally, like, so this happened... Um, to merge two, two topics together. So when Christina left my wife, that was five months ago when we separated and she moved home to the Czech Republic. At that point, I, um, I'd, I've been, yeah, as I said, on this merry-go-round around diet and always feeling like bloated, um, a lot of anxiety in my gut. And I've worked from the top down, gone through everything to just like eradicate anxiety from my life. And I felt you know, up until like five months ago, you know, I was doing workshops and things, used to be so scared of public speaking. 
And I was like, I don't have any anxiety, except that there's a feeling of anxiety. And doing and learning functional breathing and working on my functional breath patterns, my cadence, my chemistry, my capacity, that changed it dramatically. Then I cut out heaps of veg, put in heaps of meat and cut out nuts, which I had a massive addiction to. When I did that, everything changed. That feeling completely went away when I cut nuts out. And I realized that all these foods were triggering my immune system because my body couldn't process them correctly. Taking nuts, for example, there's phytic acid, but there's also oxalates in the gut. And so when you have too much of something, obviously, you know, everything in moderation, I was smashing like a hundred bucks of nuts a week for many years of my life. I was activating them myself, you know, last few years, not that many, but still a lot. And after every meal, I'll go and smash a bunch of nuts. And it's really interesting. I'm like, I just love the crunch. They're good for me. I don't put on fat. So it's like, it's all good. But what I found by cutting them out, doing some research with a good friend of mine, Peter, um, he's an integrative health coach and I've just done his um, new paradigm Institute integrative health coaching course in six months of just learning about functional breathing, functional nutrition, psychological systems, amazing uh, journey. That's what instigated me to try cutting out nuts, which I'd previously thought never could do it. Never. One week after I was like, what are nuts? Completely forgot about them. Wow. Reason being oxalates were triggering my immune system. I couldn't break them down. So then my immune system gets triggered. So I'm in sympathetic state. And I get a rush of cortisol. So I get addicted to the hormones of stress. So then I eat my food. I go and smash some nuts. Boom, I get a stress response. I'm on cortisol. Go, go, go. It's the same thing as having coffees. So I found that like nuts, because nuts are the same thing within the carnivore um, you know, realm. Nuts, we're not supposed to be eating nuts. Maybe maybe one or two a day or something when, we, when we're foraging. Uh, but they don't eat nuts. Seeds, same thing, because they're not meant to be digested. Many of the mainly vegetables, same thing. They got anti-nutrients or oxalates, lectins, like sweet potato. I cut that out again like a week ago because I was getting bloated after my meals. Lectins, like sort of, you know, bloating is inflammation. So it's like basically tearing up a bit of your gut and causing that to expand. Um, so, yeah. And the last thing being that like just eating more meat, mate, I feel so strong. I've put on this year, since April, I've put on like eight kilos um, training a bit, but just eating meat, my body's just loving it and just chunking on muscle. Dude, I, um, I've recently started listening to Paul Saladino. Do you know Paul Saladino? Is he bald? Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, he's not. No, he's not. Sorry. No, I'm thinking of, um, of, of Paul Check when I said that. No, Paul Saladino, he, I, I, heard, him, I, I heard about him on a podcast a little while ago and I heard about him because this guy, he's, he's pretty much, I think he calls it an animal based diet. He's, he's not on, um, like he's not carnivore. He, I think he might've been, but he's predominantly like what you just said. There's a lot of beef. There's a lot of liver. There's a lot of heart. Um, if you want to laugh, go to his page cause he, he eats sheep testicles, bull testicles, whatever else. And he does it with very little cooking, which is, <laughs> you know, I, I can't even do a raw, I can't do an undercooked egg. So the idea of raw yeah. sheep's nuts just it sort of rubs me up the wrong way. <laughs> but, but this guy talks a lot about just the health benefits of, of organ meat, essentially. Yeah. And like you, dude, I was, um, I, I, I call myself a vegetarian, really. I wasn't a vegan because I always had eggs, but I was vego. And um, one of the things that was interesting 
to me, just reading about this guy was just learning about some of the actual health benefits of organ meat. And he was talking about how a lot of this organ meat, it's really unappealing to us. The idea of going to get flesh from a cow is okay. And, and I think it was his belief is a lot of it's got to do with marketing. You think of a liver, you think of an organ, you're like, oh, I couldn't touch it. But then for whatever reason, like you think of the flesh, it's like no dramas. I guess it's the same reason why some cultures have no trouble eating a horse Whereas in Australia, yeah. like a horse, no, that's a farm animal. Yeah. We can only eat cows and chickens. Yeah. It's very strange. So just last week, I, for the first time, and I've still got to get over this attitude, like I'm such a pussy when it comes to certain foods and organ meat is one of those foods where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to eat a liver. <laughs> this yeah, is, give, me my, give me my oats. Uh, so Jesse, Jesse blended <laughs> it up with, yeah, <laughs> Jesse blended it up with uh, just some chicken mince and made chicken liver meatballs. Dude, she she made like this really nice sauce that went on it and it went down really well. I was just watching my boy smash it. Had no idea about what he was eating and there was no hesitation. It was just lovely food that he craved mm. and that he loved. Like he couldn't get enough of them. So I tried to take a little bit of Charlie Popplestone's two-year-old attitude towards this fo- food and just get curious. And it's actually lovely when I, I didn't think about what it was that I was eating. But that's another thing. Like I, I think this carnivore world and this, this organ meat world is another thing that I've noticed people speaking about a lot. But mm-hmm. Dude, I'm very new to it, and I would. Here's a couple of my. Here's a couple of the things that I get really apprehensive about. In saying this, I have recently started to learn a little bit about what the carnivore world. A lot of people in that scene speak about when it comes to. I don't know what the actual term is, but when it comes to sort of the the fight off mechanisms that certain plants use to prevent other animals from eating it, and some of the negative health effects that that have on humans who eat it. I'd never heard of that until recently. I look at, and you've probably got counter examples, and that's why I'm bringing it to you. I look at um, sort of blue zone areas, the the oldest sort of so-called healthiest people in the world, or the highest number of um, centenarians when it comes to health. And from what I understand, most of them are sort of plant-based. They have a little bit of meat in their diet, organic, grass-fed, like natural good meat, but a lot of what they eat is is plant-based but then there's so many other factors it's not not just their food and diet then you've got to look at their faith you've got to look at um, their exercise routine you've got to look at their community like there's you you can't just say it's because of their diet they live this long but one of the things was the the diet and so did you have any apprehension around going into like a full-blown meat diet being a relatively new thing because that that's my only um apprehension and the thing with diet dude it's so confusing because there's so many people who are way smarter than me in the in the food industry, and they're like, "Hey, a vegan diet's fantastic for you." And then another doctor will come out and also really smart and looks fit and strong, and he's like, "Nah, it's a bullshit diet. Don't touch it." And I'm like, "Well, if even the experts are disagreeing, what are, <laughs> like what yeah. am I supposed to do? I'm trying to I'm trying to work on my own stuff. I can't bloody pick up a nutrition degree just to try and decipher yeah. what you're saying." But I was just curious to hear your thoughts around that because obviously. Um, like health is your health is your thing like me yeah mate such a good point and it's something that i struggled with and grappled with for so long because you get this guy saying this is the way someone else saying this is the way and what i've realized now is they're probably both selling something because one man's food is another man's poison that's what my mate my my teacher peter told me great point that's a point like what's good for you might not be good for me for me living with this feeling of anxiety, bloating all the time. I wanted to eliminate things out of my diet. 
and just get to a really, really clean diet. When you look at meat and organs and what that provides to the body in terms of nutrition, you get everything, especially with things like liver in there. Like one little side note is I get this um, just from the butcher um, minced heart and liver together. So it's just heart and liver. They're both minced and put in a thing. That's amazing because heart makes liver taste much more meaty because liver is not a, like a meaty sort of tissuey um, organ. It tastes very strange and it's, um, as you know, it's um, almost metallic or something. So I'm not into it. So for me, it was cut out everything, come down to something that's really simple. It gives me everything. So it gave me all my nutrition, my protein, my fat. And I like going keto as well because when I eat starch, um, so-called bread, or sweet potato and potatoes, chickpeas, beans, I'll crave them and I'll crave sugar because starch and sugar, same thing in the body. So cutting those things out, I let go of my cravings for sugar. I felt amazing and I stopped having this bloating and this anxiety in my gut. So I said, okay, this is good for me. That doesn't mean it's good for me for forever. I'll keep doing it for as long as I feel good with it. That's why I've, I've um, sort of weaved through, I'm looking at my kitchen, I'm seeing like my fruit ball and like mm-hmm. eating papaya, avocado, mangoes, blackberries, and um, yeah, some leaves, you know, some rocket and some um, some squash or pumpkin, eggs and cheese. So primarily animal based, as you say for sure. Um, See, so that's my that's my thoughts on it. Like, and as you say, there's so many factors in this whole game. Like, what about placebo? People think that's the healthiest diet in the world, and their body's, their body's incredible. It'll always work with, you look at people that are eating, you know, McDonald's and, and um, drain cleaner, AKA Coca-Cola all day, every day. And they're, they're, they're getting around, they're doing stuff. You know, I have one of those meals, boom, my body's like, whoa, what was that? So it's like, it's all relative, you know, like what level of health? I know that there are measures and that would be um, quickly um, debunked that, you know, what level of health are they at? Well, you know, they're measuring it with, uh, with modern science and Western medicine. I don't know, but, um, yeah, it's interesting. There's one other thing of, um, you look at the ancient cultures, all the tribes and what percentage of, um, animal to plant based they were. And interestingly, uh, it's, it changes and varies, but the really cold climates where veggies don't grow, that's where like Eskimos and stuff that's where they were primarily like, you know, 97% animal-based, meat-based carnivores. And then you get the other ones where there's more uh, room to grow things. There's a bigger percentage of um, plants in there. And like they're just, they're just working with what they got as well. So, you know, there are a lot of animals running around. They'd eat those. You know, if, if, like, I, don't, I don't know where and, and how vegetable plants just grow in the wild i don't i never see them but i'd love to know that's a good point actually yeah where do they i mean i've seen um i guess that's a fruit i was going to say raspberries i saw a lot of that when i was doing the camino a few years ago but in terms of just going for a wander down the street like it's a very it's a very farm produced product isn't it especially veggies you get fruit fruit for sure coconuts bananas papayas like tropical fruits berries yep um but you get like you don't just see like a broccoli growing in the, in the bush. 
Um, yeah, that's so true. You really don't. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. I've never seen a broccoli just going growing through a bush when I uh, when I've gone for a walk. You see apple trees. You see strawberries. You see yeah, yeah. any fruit really. And you don't see the birds going in like hacking <clears throat> into a sweet potato. You know, they they going for berries. You know, they going for fruit. Yeah, it's a good point, man. Actually, mm. yeah, that's really interesting. To go back to Jordan Peterson because he's on the carnivore diet as well. And speaking of anxiety, I think he had. A, um, he's got a pretty deep family history with depression from what I understand. I think his grandparents had it. His parents had it. I know his daughter struggles with it a little bit. And one of the things that he put that down to was a, a really compromised immune system. There was a lot of inflammation in his body. There was a lot of just swelling and it had really negative impacts on his overall health, uh, you know, from joint health to mental health. And he went on a bit of a rabbit hole and adopted this, uh, carnivore diet probably two or three years ago and I hear him speak about the impact that it had on him and very similar like I'm not sure if he explains it as as an anxiety reduction though I have heard him say that you know a lot of the depressions diminished or completely disappeared but he said for him like he was he was carrying a little bit too much weight and he's just trimmed out like he doesn't look unhealthily skinny I don't think and the question was asked to him yeah sort of like what I asked you yeah but don't you don't you look at some of the healthiest cultures in the world for lack of a better term? Cause as you say, like there's plenty of people who are living healthy diets or healthy lifestyles. Um, you know, Paul Saladino refers to a, a Ugandan tribe that he went and spent a few weeks with who are predominantly meat based as well. You know, the meats, the organs and things like that. And he goes, yeah, well maybe, but at the same time I feel incredible. And he goes, and if this means that I live 10 years shorter for him, and he's just playing, if this means I live 10 years shorter but those 10 years are fantastic, uh, but that shortness of life is swapped for a quality of life. He goes, for me, I take that because there's a lot of times where I struggle to get out of bed and just get about my day because I'm so upset, so depressed. Yep. And I thought, well, that's a fair point. Like, it's a fair trade. If you feel that much better and you're happy to make a trade like that, if that even exists, yep. you know, I understand that. I understand that. Yep. And you look at a meat-based diet, and as you say, grass-fed meat, um, it's clean, it's healthy. You can't argue with the nutrients that you get out of it. And you compare that to your average Australian diet or US-based diet or anywhere in the West-based diet, a lot of places in the world, you go, okay, like, you're really going to argue with me about my diet. Like, have a look in your pantry. Yeah. Have a look at the sugar content of that cereal box and the ingredients of that bread yeah. and the contents of that jam and, you know, all the, anti the cold and flu medicine you got on your shelf and you're going to tell me that there's something wrong with what I'm doing. It's a, it's a tough argument to win, isn't it? Yeah. I don't need any supplements. I don't need any medicine. You know, there's, um, there's something I'll just drop and then move on. There's um, a big uh, argument that carnivore is more vegan than veganism. I was looking at a website the other day. I know where you're going and it, I, I know where you're going. I haven't, yeah, I haven't read it. It makes sense, bro. I haven't read yeah. into it, so I'll... Um, I won't, I won't speak to it, but just for anyone interested, there's a website, there's a bunch of information around it, but it's quite interesting to um, consider other perspectives with an open mind. Um, what else was I going to say there? Oh, mate, for me, quality of life is everything. You never know when time's up. You know, I was taught that lesson very strongly um, five years ago and since then, I just wake up and I'm like, thank you for another day. Like, I'm so stoked to be here, to get to be here and talk to you, to get to go and train in the gym, to get to jump in my ice bath. It's all a gift. It's all an opportunity. 
I just want to live the highest quality life I can, the highest caliber, live as much of this experience, be as present as I possibly can to the gift and like the beauty that's in this moment right now. That's what I want. If it means I die in a year, mate, that's my time up. I don't know. Mm. It doesn't matter. What's the point in living a year that's just, you know, because I was there. I ran. I wasn't present. I was running the whole time. I was on drugs or committing crimes or getting in fights because I was just so scared of just being quiet. You know, talk about, you know, so much truth comes from the quiet. Didn't want to go there. And so many people don't. And, you know, talking again about like, I was addicted to cortisol. So I was eating nuts. And I'm a chill dude. Like, you know, I'm doing good things for myself. I'm doing breath work every week. I'm doing an ice bath most days. And, um, but then I'm, it's, it's completely, you know, in my blind side, I'm eating nuts every night. And that's the piece there was like talking about Jordan Peterson and the depression. Like I've been there as well. And the mind was just this physiological sense of anxiety where my, my body, like, you know, you get tripped into a sympathetic state. So your body's like, Oh, when you're in a sympathetic state, your middle ear actually tunes to lower vibrational sounds. Your brain starts going, what's the problem? Where is the problem? Where's the threat? Is there a lion close by? Like, where is it? And so I'm walking down the street and I'm like, what's that person doing? What's happening over there? And I'm not inwardly focused. I'm not present, you know, all these things. So that was um, why it helped me so much with that feeling. Dude, I think we spoke about this last time we chatted, but I can't remember. What happened five years ago? Um, I had a big fall in Greece. I was over in Greece. I just finished. That's right. That's right, uni. man. Yeah, we spoke about it. So, Yeah reached the end of the road um, of the the path I'd, you know, taken running away from everything or responsibility and, and everything I was scared of just running, running. And at that point I reached the end and I had to say, what, what do I change here? So I started running towards everything I was scared of and started approaching life with a different attitude of what can I do? Not what can't I do? That's what I, I, I quoted this. I stole I stole um, Carl Jung's quote the other day on a podcast that I, I posted last week with Mark Dobson. Uh, great quote: "That which you most need in your life is found in the place you least want to look." And the idea that you just mentioned of just running towards the thing that scare you—I'm really attracted to that as well. Yeah, I think for me that's part of what got me involved in stand-up comedy because there's a right. there's an idea of um, you know being in front of a room full of people and it's literally sink or swim. Yeah, uh, there's something attractive about that, and the the quality of learning that comes out of an experience like that—you can write as many jokes, you can practice in the lounge room by yourself. But until you stand in a room full of 50 people and they're there to laugh and you're supposed to be the one bringing the jokes, you can't learn as quickly yeah. as you do in that situation, whether it's the, the jokes that you've written or whether it's the <laughs> just the ability to navigate your way out of a, a joke that's just bombed. If you pause for laughter and there's no laughter there, you can't just you can't just sit in the silence and be comfortable because <laughs> every, everyone in the room's feeling the same thing. Oh, it was funny the other day. I um I had a gig here pretty locally, and the MC introduced me, and uh, I was the local act. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good because I'll be able to play off the fact that I'm a local. They'll get around me a little bit. Oh yeah. The MC go, they go, this guy's only from ten minutes away, um, so no doubt that's going to mean you're going to support support him more. And one bloke at the back of the room goes, nah. <laughs> and and and, oh, and it was like. It was funny to me, but the rest of the audience kind of just sat there and took it. And it wasn't like a, 
And you know those icebreaker moments where someone says something funny and so you laugh? Mm. It was like this guy yelled it out and everyone was like, oh, yeah. That's a, he still has to be funny. And so I just walked out into this ice cold room. It was like, up, oh, <laughs> learn to tell jokes, motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was, it actually, it sort of worked out in my favor because, um, you, know, uh, you know, I've been at it for a couple of years now, so I kind of could take the piss out of the situation. But yeah, man, like the idea of just going towards that which terrifies you, it's the ice bath, man. Like, I don't know if you feel the same way, but for me, the ice water swims. I do it over in the ocean sometimes, and there's a few factors there. Like I, I shit myself when I'm out there on like a bit of a cloudy morning where the water's a bit dark because I'm thinking of sharks. I'm thinking it's cold. There's a few waves. There's not many people around. But there's something about going in and getting it done that when you come home, you're like, man, I'm the man. I'm the man. You did it again, Tice. And gradually that fear that you hold on to, it, it loses its power. Or cold showers, they used to scare me a little bit. And now I've done them so many times. I was like, Tice, you've done this 500 times, bro. Just turn the shower and get in. Yeah. You're like, oh. and, and they're like sort of trivial, trivial examples. But at the same time, like when you start to recognize that in the small things in your life, you can start to implement it into into some bigger things. You know, it's a it's a cool attitude to have. For sure, I um I lived for a couple of years with this motto of do something every day that sucks. Yeah, bro. And I I now see it. It's a little bit of a saddest thing to say, but in a way, but everything's relative. And so if you wake up in the morning and you do the worst thing that's going to happen to you that day and you do it by conscious choice, like everything else is a breeze. You know, if you can take yourself into an ice bath, I point over here because we've got one on the balcony, then you can go up on stage. Like, you know, it's all relative, but it's, it's different modes. And I feel the same thing about running workshops. It's like, you know, still get nerves, but then you go in there and you just, you, it's a way of stepping out of your comfort zone. And for me, that's like, that's what I'm obsessed with is like how much expansion can I get in this day, in this week, in this year, talking back to making the most of it. I'm like, I lived just like contracted, contracted. My world was this big for so long, for 25 years. And then I've gone, all right, let's see how big we can get it. What can I be comfortable with? You know, how many people can I talk in front of? You know, this and the same thing. You started doing that. I started teaching yoga classes because I was so scared of being up in front of people and, and chatting and, and talking and leading them. Like, being the leader and being the guide like that was well no no way i was just a follower yeah yeah man that's cool i like the idea of just seeing how big you can make your world because i feel like that sometimes i'm for a fairly extroverted social guy when i'm out jesse always teases me because there's nothing i love more than just being at home (laughs) and whenever there's a whenever there's like a a social situation she's the one that's usually excited to go and i'm always like oh so many things i would rather do And that's like an area of my life I've got to be careful not to minimize in because I notice as I get older, I sort of lean into that. I'm like, hey, this is just who I am now. And just recently I've started to go, no, you know what? Like you, you, you need it. Like this idea of community is important to me as well. And sometimes, and it's only, it's only ever the lead up to the actual going to the event. When you get there, most of the time, there's a few cool people that you can have a bit of a chat to. Yeah. And I, I never leave that party going, I wish we didn't come. Um, yeah. Dude, I was going to ask you before I forget, what are you using as an ice bath? Have you got a legitimate one or have you got like a tub that you use and fill with ice? Or, or yeah. How do, you, how do you do it? Just a chest freezer. I can uh, just turn this around. It's just a chest freezer. I managed to get it um, get it as a gift for free. So, Oh, sweet. That's it there. So what do you do, bro? You just plug that in. You just fill it with water and you plug it in and you go plug and play. So, it just, And what, uh, what temperature are you getting in it? 
um, between you know zero and it'll just it'll just oh. rise. So this morning it was cold because we just cleaned it out. Back about every two weeks we clean it out and um, get the water out, drain it, fill it back up again, and then put it on for like twenty four hours, maybe a bit more, and it freezes up. So there's a lot of there's ice around the rim. And so you get in there and you sort of ice on the sides and the, yeah, it's probably zero one degrees. And then it sort of just rises over the next few days. And then we put it back on again and just cycle it like that and just play with the temperature accordingly. Got this, um, we've got a lot of friends on the street, like a lot of people around here and um, they're all as crazy as us. So we started getting a bit of a leaderboard, a, li- a bit of a, not a leaderboard, <laughs> but a, um, a challenge board coming up. Chill fam. Jordo, Cato, Krista, Nick, Barnaby, everyone comes in. We're getting it on the um on the Insta. Just trying to encourage people to um you know. So explain this explain this chart to me. So what have we got? So you got I can see the weekdays across the top. Weekdays and, and, the... and minutes. Sorry. Ah, oh. just minutes. Dude, is that thirty five minutes? No, three, five, six. Oh, oh sorry, I see. So you can see as the temperature got higher through the through the couple of days, and then I would have turned it on. I was yeah. Yeah, the three days I was home last week. Wow, bro. So you're you're sitting in zero degree temperatures for was that three minutes? Mm. That is so cold. When we were in London, there was a Hampstead Heath was a lake that Pally and I went to a couple of times. I'm gonna tell you, I was there a lot more regularly than he was, mainly because of geography. I was closer to it, but I also took him once and I knew he didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I haven't put him in the ice bath yeah, yet. I noticed his name wasn't on that board. I'm gonna have to message him about that. Um I uh yeah, we went down, and I think the coldest, I want to say the coldest I ever got in at was, it's either five degrees or eight degrees. I think my wife got in one day when it was five, and I wasn't around. Anyway, we'll say eight, just so I'm not uh, riling myself up too much. Eight was cold, dude. Yeah. Like, and, and when it gets to eight, when you get into single digits, like every degree colder is very noticeable, I noticed. Like, because I did a couple from, it went from like 11 to 10 to nine to eight. And I remember eight being like, oh, this is this is quite brutal. Yeah. So zero is uh what are you doing there? That's where the breath work comes in. Yeah. It's probably more like yeah, one degree. I think if it was zero zero, it'd just be an ice cube. Sitting block. on an ice cube. Yeah. <laughs> if it's running water, it can get colder. So when we're up in the I was in the mountains a couple of weeks ago and that that water's cold. And because it's moving, it's taking that thermal layer around off your body. So I'm in there, I move my legs around, keeping the water circulating. But yeah, mate, I, um, you just get in there and try and slow the breathing down. What I'm teaching people now is allow yourself to be freaked out. Allow yourself to go into that stress response because what we're training is the flexibility to come back down. So don't get in there and be like, oh my God, I've got to just be really calm straight away. Just get in there and just go. <sighs> and obviously do that over 30 seconds. And then you calm yourself down and then you just tune in and you can either like, you can time minutes. That's great. And that's what I do there. But what I'm, I'm that's just a, a way of keeping track. What I'm measuring in my, I'm not saying I'm going to get in there for six minutes. I get in there and I'm like, every day is different where you're mentally at, you know, and, and what time of the day as well, like in the nighttime, much harder because your body's cooling down already, getting ready for rest. Um, and so you think about the idea of like mental walls, just like when you go for a run, you go, okay, I'm going to go through three walls. You know, I was sitting in the sauna yesterday. It's all the same stuff. You know, it's just stress to the body. I'm sitting in the sauna and I'm like, 
oh, it's the third round in the sauna for the third 15 minutes. I've had cold showers in between each one. I'm really gassed and I'm like, okay, I'm hitting the wall here. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to see if I can go through one more because it's so cool to see that like where you're at in that point is like, this is it. I have to get out now. That's all. And you go, okay, just wait. Just keep breathing. Just a few more moments. And then it just dissolves and I'm like, oh, and I'm good again. How beautiful is that? And I'm like, okay, cool. It's just so good to see that, you know, the mind's just, and this is the thing, the mind's, mind's a tool. If the mind becomes the, the master, you know, as everybody says, then, then we become the slave. So we've got to make sure that we are in control of the mind and flexing that, that willpower muscle and that strength and the courage to, to choose and decide what we want to do and be discerning around it. And mm. um, that's just the best way for me to do it is to keep on, you know, leaning into that as much as I can. I like what you said at the start of the podcast as well. I can't remember the exact quote. What was it? Uh, crisis crisis. Oh yeah. I think it was offline. Yeah. Like crisis is opportunity. I believe in Chinese characters, they are the same character. It means the same thing. Crisis is opportunity. Every time there's a crisis, you know, you just got an opportunity to, to learn from it, grow from it, respond to it. It's a cool, it's a cool thought to take into every day because there's certain activities in my day where I, I might dread it or I'll know I have a certain negative response to certain situations. Like admin is one of those things where when I know there's admin that's got to be done, I go into fluster mode like, oh, I've just got to get this bullshit done. I can't yeah. believe it. Like this is so – and I bring this real real negative attitude. And I'm bringing some trivial examples today. I know it. But admin's where I, where I see it in myself most commonly. And uh, it is interesting. Like the idea of going, all right, like there's an opportunity for development here. And you know you get it every single day. It's going to happen a couple of times a day. It might not be admin. It might be, you know, it's 5 a.m. and my kid's going nuts and I just can't be bothered because I didn't sleep well that night. My easiest response is to go, fuck, like this is a shit start to the day. I can't believe this is how I start my day. I used to start with meditation, a green smoothie, and now my son shed his pants and I have to change it. <laughs> but it, I notice in myself, like, what was it on Sunday for the first time, bro? I had to look after my. This sounds so ridiculous because I call myself like a very hands-on dad. But the other day, I had to look after both of my kids. I got a two-month-old now as well, and Congrats. I had to look after. Thank you, brother. I don't even know if you knew that. No. I had to look after little Ollie, my new man, and Charlie together for the same time. For it was, I think it was five hours, and I never done it before. I struggle sometimes just with one, and so all week last week, I kept I kept catching myself like dreading it because I'm like, oh, this is going to be chaos. I had to get to a comedy gig, had a babysitter coming at like six, and in my head all week, I just I noticed myself uh, without any conscious thought, just catastrophizing how badly it was going to go. I was going to miss my gig because my son shed his pants and. Uh, my other kid fell down the <laughs> stairs or whatever. And then I knew, I knew in the week that whatever I'd made it out to be, it was so much worse than what it was going to be. So Sunday afternoon came around, turned out, and it's not always going to be the case, but turned out both kids were little legends. It's pretty cruisy afternoon, mm. had some real helpful instructions from my wife. We went out to the park. My older boy was in the best mood. My little boy was just chilling. Mm. And it's so crazy to me how... Uh, you can you can paint such a bad picture, and the reality of 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 the situation that you're dreading so much is so much different. Yeah. And that's something I catch myself doing, not just with my kids, but in a lot of areas. The anticipation of an event, a lot of the time, will be so much more like a negative anticipation for an event. A lot of the time, for me, is so much more intense than what you, what the actual event is, yeah. regardless. So it's like, all right, that's my 
that's like my little teacher at the moment. You got anything like that throughout your day where where you're like, all right, that's that's an opportunity that I get every single day as well. One hundred percent. Mind is the mas- master of um, <laughs> hypothesizing and and building dragons, mate. Like everything's like, oh my god, it's going to be so intense and hectic and hard. And talk about social events. I'm very similar to you. Like when I'm out there, I'm I'm extroverted. I'm social. I love talking to people. I just I just love humans. I love learning about them. I love hearing what they're up to, how they operate. We're all, we are all individual. It's amazing. But um, yeah, I find um, it's just always there. And, and I just sort of try and detach from it. I go, okay, cool. Thanks for your consideration and your concern. Uh, it's just my way of reminding myself to prepare as adequately as I can. Yeah, that's kind of it. Just detaching from the um, the intensity of it and the emotion of it. Just go like anxiety to me is a sign that I'm on the edge of growth, which is the edge of discomfort. And I'm quick to reframe as well because I'm now learning that not all growth has to happen in the discomfort zone, as I talk about yeah. it, or in the courage zone, which is you got your comfort zone, and then outside of that, you got courage zone or discomfort zone. That's where we grow. We can also grow in the middle though. But anxiety just means, oh, I don't know what that is yet. I haven't been to this particular gig. You know, I haven't done this thing before. So it's just my brain going, I don't know what to expect. I don't know how it's going to go. So I'm going to be worried, you know. So that's, that's it, yeah. I've also got a newfound respect for families, fathers and mothers. I've got to say particularly mothers who are just, always home with the kids after spending some time with my my sister and her first two kids so the first two you know my um niece and nephew just having two of them he's five months and she's 18 months and it's so much going on i never really understood mate it's insane i don't know how people do more than two yeah the sleep thing the food the moods the cycles it's all over the place mate it's chaos it's so chaos i was talking to a comedian the other night he's got three kids and he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, it's funny. You have one kid, you're a hobby parent. It's like you've bought a hundred acres, and you've got two, <laughs> you got you got two cows and a sheep. It's it's. I mean, it's a change, but it's not crazy. You, you feel it's crazy, and then you have two kids, and this is what I relate to so much. And he goes, and one plus one doesn't equal two. He goes, one plus one equals ten, and that's what it feels like. Right. And um, Speaking of chaos, he goes, the funnier one after that, he goes, uh, after after two, it just gets so ridiculous. You're like, all right, we've got three. All right, there's one. There's, where's the other kid? Oh, he's in the cupboard. No worries. All right, let's go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's such a good point because, uh, dude, you've nailed it. Like, I'm so glad. I had no idea. Like, with a few things. First of all, I used to see parents on a plane with kids, and I was like, get your shit together. Like, I'm trying to enjoy my movie. Your kid's going nuts. I can't relax. Like you're a bad parent. Sort your life out. I went to America with my two-year-old in the middle of the year. It was a long story short, bro. This is a fun story for you. I'll tell you the whole thing another time. It took us 50 hours between um, vaccine exemptions not being accepted, flights missed, um, delayed flights. It was It was just chaos, bro. Anyway, about 43 hours in, I just wanted to make a public apology to every single parent that I had ever criticized. And there was a lot of them. 
because my boy was that kid and I was like, I, I just knew I was that guy who was just the dickhead parent that there would be some 23-year-old sitting at the back of the plane going, mate, get your life together. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you don't understand. This yeah. is really hard. Um, yeah, dude. Yeah, what a what a whirlwind. What a whirlwind. Yeah, it's a crazy experience, dude. It's a, uh, the, it's, I used to hear parents explain, like, kids are the best thing ever and the most challenging ever. And I was like, okay, cockhead, like, no worries. And I'm, it's a perfect description. I can't describe it any better. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, wild, man. Wild. That's funny. The, uh, the 23-year-old on the plane is still a kid. Let's put it that way. I think I've <laughs> yeah. still been a kid until I've just realized that I've got respect for parents now. and must be like, you know, like we were coming, I think I told you last time. I can't remember exactly when we spoke and what point I was at with Christina and our journey. But um, and maybe I just wasn't ready to unpack it yet. But we were preparing to, to start trying for kids at the end of this year. So I was like on the path towards fatherhood. Oh, I was getting ready for it. I was excited for it. I was like, all right, let's step into it. And now, you know, spending time with my niece and nephew, it's so beautiful and, you know, appreciate it so much. And, you know, talk about opportunity, right? It's like that was... I did a session with a friend of mine who does a lot of channeling and energy healing. And in uh, March, she sat me down and said, you have catastrophic change coming up. And I sat there and I went, wow. Talk about the mind. Boom. What is it? It's it's just, you know, um, making up so many stories about what it's going to be and what it could like, what, what's going to happen to me. It was hilarious. Like it's going to be in business. It's going to be around this or that. And then, boom, next minute, like, Christina and I are both sitting there like, you have to go home. Like, you're not, you're not grounded here. You're not thriving here. You're just surviving. Um, this is, you know, never really fully, you know, meant to be here. Just our love was keeping her here and I couldn't keep her here. And I can see that my role and my, you know, opportunity is here to serve this community that I've, you know, subconsciously been building for so long and um, her to go back home and, and get grounded and, and healthy and it's been a beautiful journey um but yeah talk about catastrophic change and you know one way going towards fatherhood being in a committed relationship i was with the love of my life and had no doubts that we're going to be together until we we're old and wrinkly you know and then now i'm like oh no i'm, I'm not going to be a father i'm i've got the opportunity to travel more i've been on the road last eight weekends I've been out I haven't been home and then every day every week two days a week I'm away as well doing some work on my dad's property um so yeah talk about change and um you never know what's coming you know oh dude so I'd I'd been speaking to Pauly um I speak to him every every couple every few weeks and um I just throughout the year sort of just asked how's Cade gone like what's going on and um Man, it must have been it must have been like nine months ago. I asked the question, and he's like, "Dude, like he sort of gave me a bit of a rundown on what was going on." And uh, I was like, "Holy shit! Like that's a it's an intense situation." And um, yeah, he sort of he'd sort of unpacked a, a little bit of what was going on, and um, then he he told me uh, he told me your lady had had moved back. So that was a when did that happen, man? Because that is a talk about a catastrophic change like that. That throws that. What's that? What's the expression? Yeah, it's just a spanner in the works. <laughs> spanner in the works, to say the least. Like a bomb, yeah, bombing the engine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that was in July twelve. She left. Yeah, so I think it's 
was it five months now? Yeah, just over five months. I'm, yeah, I won't put and her. that's a like she's she's gone back now. Like she's um, you guys decided to have you hit pause or have you said all right, that's that's done or like where are you guys at? From the place where we were doing it from was a deep knowing. After we we sat with it, she came. She went to the Czech Republic, her home in April for a month, and I was um, here and I did a lot of was doing a lot of work. I was doing a lot of um, breath work with psychedelics and doing that, getting a lot of insights and connecting a lot of dots. And it just became really apparent to me. I was like, "Hang on, she is always like so often homesick," and I just saw that. Hang on, like before she fully committed to living here on her own, on her own accord, we got together and then our love was just so beautiful, so perfect. We lifted each other up so high that we just kept on going, but there was this undercurrent of just homesickness. She just wasn't grounded here. And I see it like, you know, she was sort of one foot here, one foot still in check the whole time, but here for our love, for our union. But before you put, you know, you got to put yourself first. And so it came to that point, I saw that and she was at home and she saw the same thing. COVID definitely exaggerated this, which is a positive because this would have come up anyway and it had to happen. Then she came home and it was a a really tough two months because she was really um, going through, you know, a deep process of, of sitting with all of this. I jumped into my left brain, my masculine brain for a long time there. And I just worked it all out. I saw the vision. I saw the why. I rationalized it. I could see how clearly it was meant to happen. And it and and through the last five months since she's left, just the pieces just keep on unraveling and just building this whole picture of why it had to happen that way. You know, you meet people for a season, reason, a lifetime. And I learned more in my entire life from Chris than anything else and anyone else. And so it was perfect in that way. And yeah, the undercurrents of the whole thing, you know, she really helped me become a man and that masculine came through. And as I found my purpose with this, um, you know, facilitation and coaching, that's when things shifted, you know, I was helping her step into her feminine and let go of that masculine, you know, control. And as we, sort of transition to this like crossroads point that's when it changed and you know there's there's so many layers to it and i just i'll I'll sort of pause it there because you know don't want to share too much maybe for her sake as well but Mm. it was just the most beautiful thing to be able to um and and the hardest thing in my entire life to be able to go through this and to let go of something that you hold so dearly uh, it's been really empowering as I've come through the other side of it, but bloody hell, like sitting at the airport and, you know, having, you know, the love of your life there and just knowing this is the right thing, having to stay in that masculine oh. brain and go, this is right for her because she was working very hard on her health, but she wasn't completely healthy. She wasn't thriving. She was just surviving because she wasn't grounded. She wasn't aligned. You know, she wasn't rooted here. She's rooted over there, but she's living here. So it wasn't, you know, in alignment. So she wasn't flowing. She's working so hard all the time. She was in a stress state, all these things. And she did such a good job. And that's beautiful because she learned how to look after herself. Going home, having more ease, she'll be able to flourish. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, standing at the airport, brother, and, you know, having her 
take my wedding ring off my finger and put it on my other hand. And then, you know, her having a lot of challenge to leave, to walk away. And I had to just say, like, you've got to go now. It's time to go. Oh, bro, man, I'm sorry to hear. That's a, that is a brutal experience. As you say, like, I love your perspective on it, but I, I can't imagine a bigger challenge than that. Like, I often say to Jesse, it's like my my worst nightmare is the, the inevitable fact. Like, for me, like, assuming one of us is going to go first. I'm talking about not go overseas. I'm talking about, like, when we, uh, when we leave this earth. Yeah. I go like my worst nightmare is the idea that, you know, you're going to, you got to try and just figure out life without each other. And I guess, um, dude, who knows what the, the future holds, but like the, I guess the space that you sit in at the moment, it's, it's, it's probably that similar challenge. I remember when Jesse's parents got div- divorced, her mum said, it's just like, I wish one of us had just died because this is more of a challenge to me than what the death would be. Like knowing that that person's still out there and we're trying to navigate life without totally. him. It's like, that's the ultimate challenge. And, um, like how have you navigated the last six months or so, bro? Like what have you, because grief is a, grief is a weird thing. I spoke about this on the podcast last Friday. It was all about grief and I've had a few experiences with grief in my time. And, um, it's often, it often takes me a couple of minimum couple of weeks to realize what's sort of going on, like what the pain I'm feeling is. And you're like, oh, of course it's the, of course, of course it's a loss. But for me, it sort of came out in just like I was grumpy and I was short and I was frustrated and a bit more aggressive and, bit, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's a really cool um, sort of uh, piece to lay on top of this first in terms of um, weaving in a little bit of theory and uh, nervous system stuff. So there's a concept called the interbrain. And the interbrain is something we see with, you know, everybody that you have a deep rapport and love with but it happens massively between mother and child and father and child, baby interbrain being it's not in the brain brain, but in the mammalian brain. So we've got the reptilian brain, then the mammalian brain grew on top of that because we're reptiles first and mammals and then humans prefrontal cortex thinking self actual, um, self analyzing thought, you know, thinking of death, future, past, present, whatever in the mammalian brain, we've got this interbrain and they've, they've mapped it and it's how we connect with people. And you start, understanding what baby needs without baby talking to you. My mom and I always finish each other's sentences. I have a big ability to know what people are talking about. Even if they're, I'm like, they start talking. I'm like, yeah, I get it. And then I'll finish the conversation. They'll finish the sentence. And I'm like, yep, that's what I just did the essence of it, you know? So for me, like what I, what I dealt with there and what you're talking about there is it's a very like physiological loss because there's this part of you that has this loved one there and you have an energetic bond, your nervous system co-regulates with this person, you know, and there's been a lot of learning, which I'll lead to maybe at the end, if I can remember to get there um, about owning your own energy and, and what you derive, where you derive things from. But for me, I knew that I had the op- two options. I could distract myself, go and get heaps drunk, you know, go and sleep around and either cover it up, push it down or just completely leave my mind using drugs and everything else. And that's obviously a very old program, which I wasn't going to run. Other thing, well, I guess within that was just get smashed with work, just get addicted to work and just keep myself really, really busy. Keeping the mind busy, things don't have time to surface and arise. 
So two days after she left, I took myself in my van, my big, um, it's funny, a DHL van, a big DHL van just pulled up outside. I was like, is that my van? Because it's a yellow, <laughs> my, mine's an old DHL. So it's a big yellow sprinter, um, with, you know, pretty good setup in there. And so I took myself away in the van and I went up north. I was heading towards um, the Byron area. I was going to go visit my mum for, you know, a day or two and my sister in the Gold Coast, but primarily just to get away and to go allow myself some open space. So I went to the rainforest for almost a week um, in Dorigo, just behind Bellingen, really beautiful spot. And mate, I just allowed myself to completely unravel. It was a mess. I was like in the deepest pain, deepest grief I've ever felt. It was like you fucking lost organs. You know, I'm leaking, I'm draining. And my anxiety and my insecurity was through the roof. It was like I went back eight years in time. I was a mess, absolutely. But I stuck to my practices. I woke up every morning, I did a breath retraining practice, so functional breathing, really mundane stuff, but the, the best thing you can do for your health. And I would then go for a walk, come back, make a cacao. Then I would, um, what else would I do then? Then I'd make lunch. You know, that, that and stuff takes so long. It's like when you're camping, you know, now we're at midday. I've done nothing, but that was the point of it. And um, just had these really simple days, mate. Didn't, didn't put anything on the agenda. Turned my phone off for two weeks. Didn't listen to any podcasts. Didn't listen to any music for the first week when I was driving. And so it was just silence allowing the mind to go crazy. And the biggest thing that helped me was giving myself permission to be confused and lost. I said, I'm not going to know anything right now because I know in my nervous system, my state, I'm going to be a sense, a state of loss, grief. I'm not going to be able to make decisions about the future. I'm not going to be able to plan things out. I'm not going to be able to make good decisions. So I said, turn it all off and you've got to feel to heal. These are feelings that are coming up. So I weaved this line, like I, I made this juggle between feeling everything that came up whenever it did. And I, I started that as soon as we made the decision. I say I was in my left brain. Whenever a feeling of, of loss would come up before Chris left, when she's still here, you know, her, her um, coping mechanism is to sort of withdraw and shut off. And I just kept on holding space and, and re-navigating our relationship and, and helping us recreate our dynamic literally day by day, week by week as two ships just beginning to sail in different directions instead of just moving to a different ocean you know so we we really nicely navigated how we're going to change the the way we talk and the way we um express love and all these things and so like the biggest thing to to help with grief for me in my experience was to feel it to allow it to come up Mm -hmm. not to hide from it and just to be like like my crying it happened most days around sunset and I'd be driving somewhere because at sunset I'd go and I'd drive to another spot after I left the rainforest. I went up, I made my way up to the hinterland in the Gold Coast. And it was like the first day, I'm like, I know how to cry, man. Like, you know how to cry, Tyson? Yeah, like you cry, you fucking let it out. Second day, I'm like, well, okay, there's a bit more there. All right. By the fifth day, I'm wailing, brother, like, nothing i've ever known before i never knew that was how i could cry like that that heavily that heartfelt that deep and oh it was huge and and 
afterwards, I'd feel, you know, a sense of relief. And every time it came up, I said, okay, we're here for it. But here's the thing I was juggling with was not getting addicted to the feeling. Talk about feeling addicted to the hormones of stress like cortisol. Not getting addicted to being the victim and pitying myself. Yeah. Because I knew that that was a possibility to sit there and go, oh, and I, I can sit in that. I think we all can. Oh, poor me. Woe is me. I've lost the love of my life. What am I going to do? Fucking why do I deserve this? Blah, blah, blah. Just a story about it, you know, and it's okay to go there, but just pull And I didn't. I, I pulled, Maybe I did, but I was really like able to hold a view of myself and watch myself in all my moments. And I think that's because, and I believe it is, because I kept these practices up. Still doing my cold swims, still doing my breath work, you know, all of the tools that I'd built and developed over many years came to use. And I say this about the ice bars and the breath work. If these don't help you in your real life, why are you doing it? Mm. Then you probably are a sadist. Like you're just getting in cold water and punishing yourself for something. But if that helps you when your kid poos himself and you're worrying about going and, and uh, doing your, your um, gig at night and you go, hang on, hang on. What do we do now? I'm just feeling a state of stress. My, my body's just come into sympathetic. There's a bit of cortisol. I'm aroused. Let's just breathe it down or just relax. Just lay down for two minutes. Pause. Self-regulate. Right? Mm. So that's, um, that's how I dealt with it, bro. And then since then, and here's the last piece I'll share was an interesting one, which I've caught two weeks ago. So that was five months. First three weeks, I was away doing that. Since then, I've spent two days a week at my dad's farm doing work, doing like, you know, chop wood, carry water. We've been building stuff. Just working my hands with my dad, spending time with him on, off, on the land, phone off, just eating good food. So nature, nature's a massive healer. Just get yourself in nature. Just sit in nature, forest bathing, they call it. Um, what I found though, bro, was that as soon as I got back, I started getting sort of more and more momentum building up into a sprint with work and I was running. I wasn't running away from anything. Every time I felt emotions, I've been journaling since April. I started journaling almost every day and I've got the whole track of our whole journey from when I didn't know if I was going to follow her to check. I was like, do I go to check and I follow her? Nah, my kingdom's here. Mm. I stay here. You know, my queen will join my kingdom. This is where, my, if I want to do what I want to do, this is where I'm going to serve best because I can't speak Czech. There's no, there's no community over there for this. So I was sprinting. Every time I'd feel something, I'd sit down, I'd feel it, I'd let, allow it to come up, you know, feel to heal 100%. But then when I wasn't, I was going. And what I realized a couple of weeks ago was I was doing that because I was trying to justify why I didn't follow her, why I'm not with her now, because I need to have something to prove as to what I've created, as to why I've chosen this over that, you know, mm. justifying yeah. it. And, and it's and it not necessary because I know it's all perfect. You know, she needs, she actually needs to be on her own to, to find her own power because I was me here and, you know, I do my thing and I've got a lot of strong practices and I've, you know, been doing this stuff for a while so I can be quite strong with people I'm around and she needed to find that on her own. I can see that and not everyone's the same, but that's her life journey is to realize that she's got everything inside her 
So I knew that I have to like let her go to do that. So yeah, that's been the journey, brother. Dude, it sounds like a uh, it sounds like a very healthy way to deal with a, a very very big challenge. I, I found that like <clears throat> the the smaller experiences of grief in comparison to what you've just been through. The most healthy thing I did was just I, I took a week away. I took Jesse up. We went up to the hills. This is after the death of like a good friend of mine and uh, 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 my one of my grandparents like quite close to each other and. Yeah, for me, I, I think what I could have done better was just switch a few more things off. But even the silence in the air that was up where we were, we went up to a place called Red Hill here and there's there's not a lot going up at Red Hill. We'd watch a documentary here and there and I would just go out and I was doing a lot of running. Like I was running twice a day, just to help that I was running for a marathon. But in that silence of the, the running, I knew I was doing a lot of processing as well. Yeah. And uh, it, it is interesting. I've got a good friend of mine who's who's very recently just lost his old man he had a he had brain cancer and he was saying to me the other day he's like yeah i know i'm struggling because i keep catching myself just he goes to sport he's like i can't stop researching sport i just i know i'm burying my my head in the sand a little bit and i i didn't say anything because it's like i don't know what my role just yet is and he's not at a stage where he's really asking questions or or, or really looking at um i think he's i don't know i don't know what what stage you would put him in but I remember in that moment biting my tongue because I'm like, dude, you're, you're doing the opposite of what you should be. <laughs> you know, yeah. I felt like I felt, I, that was my interpretation of what was going on. And um, yeah, from my experience, it's, yeah, you nailed it with you. you got to feel to heal. That's that's where it's at. And that, that week that you spent up like in the rainforest, just sounds, it sounds like a, it sounds amazing for the healing, but it also sounds like a nightmare in terms of the emotions that you got to try and walk through there because just the loan, like I, as you were saying it, I was like, oh, like the the fact that there was no music, no podcast, no whatever for that first week. It's like, oh, there's just, there is so much pain in that space. Mate, I would go for a four-hour hike most days and I would find myself literally like speeding up to a jog and being, because I'm like, oh, I want to see how fast I can get to the end, see if I can get there faster than the other people on all trails. And I'd be like, dude, we're walking we're walking slow and slowly I just start walking faster, faster. And I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go, bro. I'm just trying to run away from things. But to your point, dude, how many times in my life I've done it that way. Mm. I've run, I've pushed, I've, I've pushed it down. You know, everyone is at a different point and, and different things are different at right at different times. I may well have another experience in my life in the future and I'll do that. So you know, time and place, right? Yeah, man. Nah, dude. Well, I'm glad you're, um, I'm glad you're navigating it well, bro. You look good. You look healthy. You are, you're still, a, you're still an inspiration, man. I love, I love talking to people like you who have an appreciation for the power of the mind and just the mind's capacity to not just get you through like day-to-day struggles, but the, the big things like what you've been through, man. So it's like a, a little wake up call to me. So dude, thanks for, um, Thanks for coming back on, man. It was a, a really good chat. It's it's one of those ones we're just talking for an hour and a half, and yeah. I'm sure we could talk for hours more, man. But we'll do a we'll do another one again soon, mate. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure to, to connect with you again, dude. And thank you to everyone for listening to Tyson here. Like, I love your perspective on things. I love the weaving that you get between humor and like real um, important topics, and and how the way you see the world is very valuable. And mate, that flew by. Can't believe it. seriously thank you brother all right man we'll leave it there i'll see you later awesome see everybody